Hi everyone, Benjamin Smith here, pastor of Revealing Truth Ministries, Wesley Chapel. You know, God is always speaking good things to us and he has a word for you today, we are sure of it. Take some time out to listen and we'll be back as soon as we're done. God bless you. God, I thank you for each and every person here. We never take it for granted, this opportunity that we have to come and minister together. I pray that you give me your inner wisdom to speak life into each and every person and that everybody under the sound of my voice will get something out of the message today that they can use and make their lives better. God, not just years from now or months from now or weeks from now, not even days from now, but they will be able to use this message and make their lives better immediately. It's in the name of Jesus that we pray. Amen. Amen. You know what, family, I just something popped in my mind. I'm going to give you a quick less than two minute Smith story. We're talking to my granddaughter, the oldest one. She just turned nine and it's on her birthday. So we were talking to her and it's either a day after her birthday or whatever, but she's talking on the FaceTime and she's talking to the grandma. And so I come in, stick my head in the camera. I want to give, say, hey, baby, how you doing? So I get in there and then somehow, and I'm going to get this as close as I can remember, the oldest says to, to Greta, he says, Grandma, they live in New York. Grandma, I want to come and I want to spend the day with you at your house. And of course, I'm like, what do you mean you want to spend time with Grandma? What about gr- Granddaddy? And so the, 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 the next one, the, the youngest girl, that's Granddaddy, baby. She, she sticks in and says, that's okay, Granddaddy. I'll come and spend a day with you. And so I got a little chest put. I was like, okay, that's what I'm talking about. <laughs> then the oldest says, yeah, but I'm going to come and spend the day at grandma's house. Grandpa, you need to get a house. <laughs> and I said, wait a minute now. Let's be clear. Grandma got a house and I got a house. This is also my house. She say, Grandpa, that's grandma's house. You got to get a house on your own. I'm like, these children, I got it. I got to go get a house. You know what? There's something wrong with that. Grandma. Oh, she was smiling. Greta was smiling from ear to ear. <laughs> then put me out in my own house. I ain't even did nothing to get put out. All right, family. Uh, here's your first image for today. As you know, we've been talking about our vision, the vision for 2023. And that vision has three categories. Having already talked about the restore category, we've moved into re-engage. And for re-engage, initially what we put up there was a vision statement that wasn't really actionable, but it was how it was written in your notes. It was written as shown up in the above, in the above, above right. Oh, okay. Thank you. The above, above right. You're correct. I didn't do by profession, but I will. Thank you. I have forgotten. And, uh, the, the, the restore, the re-engage category, it's read, regardless of the fear or failure, the righteous get up without condemnation and into the arms of the risen king. But that wasn't actionable. 
The actionable goal is re-engage life regardless of the fear or failure and re-engage it without condemnation knowing that if you fall in the process, your risen king has empowered you to get up. And the scriptures for this, for this particular re-engage category, Proverbs 24, verses 15 through 16, the Message Bible, and then Romans chapter 8, verse 1, and John chapter 20. Before we engage our Bible, let's read our Bible confession together. Thank you, sir. Ready? Let's go. This is my Bible. I can be what it says I can be. I can do what it says I can do. I can have what it says I can have. Every verse is God-breathed, and I aim to live by every word. It is essential to my faith foundation and works to change me from the inside out into the person God created me to be. That is why I shall never let it go. It is reliable. It is the truth. It is divine. It is the word of God and shall forever be to me my Bible. In Jesus' name, amen. Give us John chapter 20, verse 11. Where we put a pause last time was in John chapter 20. And John chapter 20 contains the information or it's part of the book of John where the disciples learn, hey, Jesus has risen. We went through quite a bit of John, kind of jumping John 20, kind of jumping through, but we went through quite a bit of it, ultimately getting down to like verses 20 through 23, where Jesus dispenses the Holy Spirit to his followers. We're going to turn back the clock a little bit from that point and go back up John 20 to verse 11, where Mary is kneeling at Jesus's empty tomb crying. We're going to be only in the voice version of the Bible this today. John chapter 20, verse 11 says, Mary, however, stood outside the tomb sobbing, crying, and kneeling at its entrance. Right here, Mary, well, she's a wreck. She's a wreck because in her mind, a large portion, a really important part of her life has crumbled. But guess what? Jesus does not leave her there. He does not leave her in that state. He comes to her. Notice verse 11 through 18 now. Reading it straight through, the voice Mary, however, stood outside the tomb, sobbing, crying, and kneeling at his entrance. She, she cried, as she cried, two heavenly messengers appeared before her, sitting where Jesus' head and feet had been laid. The messenger said, dear woman, why are you weeping? Mary said, they've taken my Lord. I can't find him. After uttering these words, she turned around to see Jesus standing before her, but she did not recognize him. Jesus said, dear woman, why are you sobbing? Who is it that you're looking for? Who is it you're looking for? She, had, she still had no idea who it was before her. Thinking he was the gardener, she muttered, Sir, if you are the one who carried him away, tell me where he is, 
and I will receive him. Jesus said, Mary. Then she turned to Jesus. Now, let me just go through that really quick. When he said Mary, he must have said it in a tone and in a way this time that sounded like Jesus. You know, like, yeah, girl, Mary, you know it's me. You see, yeah, stop playing. The first time when he asked her this question, dear woman, why are you sobbing? He was probably using his white person on the phone voice. She didn't know who he was. You know what I'm saying? It sounded like she's trying to, he trying to collect some money or something. So she, was, she didn't know who that was. But later he said, girl, you know this me. You know how you're talking and then, and then you, oh, when you know who it is, then you're like, oh, child, you know how you got to switch it up. So, okay, the professional voice. Maybe he was using his professional Caucasian voice. Y'all know what I'm talking about. But when he said it, differently, she said in Hebrew, Rabboni, my teacher. Jesus, she finally knew who it was. Now Jesus come in and he said, yeah, girl, you know it's me. Stop tripping, but you can't touch me right now. I ain't, I got to go see my daddy. Got my new threads on. Can't, you can't touch me right now. But why are you all up here cutting the fool and sobbing and crying? He, they had that conversation probably. It's not written, but they had that conversation. But the Bible says... Jesus told her, Mary, you cannot hold me. I must rise above this world to be with my father, who is also your father, my God, who is also your God. Go tell this to all my brothers. Mary Magdalene obeyed and went directly to his disciples. When she got there, she told them, I have seen the Lord, and this is what he said to me. And, she, and it goes on. Now, you know, with her being an emotional wreck, Jesus came to her. That's clear. And later, as we read, he also comes to the disciples. He comes to give them hope. He comes in their time of anguish. He comes in their time of need. And that's a beautiful thing. But family, I have to share with you that when we look at this, this is a picture. These, this, these two, this scenario is a picture of how many believers approach this Christian life. Specifically, Whenever they are going through something, they count on Jesus coming to resolve their issue. Whenever they're going through, their approach is Jesus come. Their mindset, whenever they're going through a challenge, has a certain bent, a certain structure to it. What is that mindset? Take a look. That mindset is involving two words. Pray and wait. Praying and waiting. 
whenever they're going through something, their position, their posture, their stance is, I know if I pray hard enough, if I pray often enough, if I pray long enough, Jesus will come and resolve my issue. Jesus will come and solve my problem. Jesus will come and get me out of my trouble. If I just pray long enough, often enough, and hard enough. I know that this will work because the Bible tells me that mm, I should pray without ceasing. The Bible tells me that the prayers of the righteous availeth much. James goes on to say in the Amplified, maketh tremendous a power available to me, dynamic in its working. So I know if I pray when I'm going through something, Jesus is going to come and take care of it all. The Bible also tells me that there are some things in life that cannot be overcome without fasting and prayer. There was a time the disciples were trying to cast out a spirit and Jesus ultimately told them, listen, yeah, you need to have faith in God. You didn't have no faith. You got you need to have at least mustard seed faith. But on top of that, this kind only comes out by fasting and by praying. I know if I pray that Jesus will come because the Bible tells me that God hears my prayers. And. If we know that God hears our prayers, we also know that we're going to have the petitions of our heart, that he's going to do that thing. So if I pray, all I then got to do is wait for Jesus to come through. And in my waiting, I know my waiting has power. Why? Because the Bible tells me they that wait. On God shall renew their strength. They shall mount up like wings as eagles. They shall run and not get weary. They should walk and not faint. I know I can wait on Jesus. I know because the Bible tells me one time when the children of Israel were, were, were getting out of Egypt that God said, stand still. Moses said, stand still and see the salvation of the Lord. The Bible also tells me to not be weary in well-doing because in due season, I will reap if I don't faint, if I don't quit, if I don't give up. I know I can wait on Jesus if I wait long enough because James tells me to let patience have her perfect wait, work, work so that I can be whole, wanting nothing. Family. I am not here to negate any of this thought process, especially praying. Praying, that's that foundational part of what we do. There's nothing wrong with praying. I am, however, going to add an element to your thought process. In particular, about this thing, waiting. When it comes to waiting, waiting is not the only posture for a believer. 
even after praying. I want you to recall when we were talking about Joshua, the previous session, he had been defeated in Ai. Chapter 7, he's on his knees in the dirt, praying to God. And what does God tell him? Get up. Get out of the dirt. Yeah, I see you crying, but get up. I know you're praying to me. Yeah, I heard you. Now get up. Yeah, you didn't do so well. Get up and do something. Figure out what's going on. Waiting is not the only posture for the believer. I want you to know that the mindset of taking appropriate, say appropriate, taking appropriate actions is just as much a part of being Christian as waiting. A do something attitude should be part of your Christian repertoire. Not just waiting. Frankly, family, waiting is misunderstood. Most often misunderstood. Let me tell you, waiting is rarely sedentary. Rarely. Most often what waiting is, waiting is about the action or actions you take while you are resting and hoping in God and his timing. It's not setting, sedentary. It's really about the actions you take while God is on his way. Take a very fundamental, simple, elementary example. Waiting, on, waiting for the bus. Look at this. Just, just waiting on the bus. Let's assume you're, you're walking, you're on your bike, bike, you're riding, you're on your scooter, whatever you're doing, and you pass by someone waiting at the bus stop. What are you observing? You're observing waiting. Now, let's take it down to the next level. I want you to think about it. What are you witnessing? Are you witnessing somebody waiting or are you witnessing the culmination of actions that put them in that spot? Mm. Let's assume that's me. I'm the one at the bus stop. And you pass by. On the outside, it looks like I'm just waiting. But the reality is, I never get to the bus stop if I don't take some very specific and purposeful actions to get my behind in that spot. In order for me to be at the bus stop waiting, I had to wake up, I had to brush my teeth, I had to get in the shower, in the shower and I had to get dressed. I then had to either get myself there or have somebody take me there. I also had to, get this, either make sure my ride on that bus was prepaid 
or be ready to pay the person when they get there. All of that culminated in me waiting. But that's not it. That's not all. I had to make sure I got to the right bus stop. And I must know the destination before I get on. If I'm going to get on this bus, I don't want to get on a bus to nowhere. It goes beyond that. When that bus drops me off, it's going to put me in a certain environment around certain people. I have to be prepared to engage those people in the surroundings when I get to my destination. All of that's a factor. Where am I going? Am I going uptown where the restaurants serve little food at a big price? Or am I, or am I going to the hood where the restaurant prices are more reasonable and I get my choice of living onions, oxtails, roast, Smoked turkey wings, smothered turkey wings, or fried chicken, plus green beans, rice, macaroni and cheese, cornbread, all stuffed in a three-section styrofoam container prepared by a woman they call Big Mama who got her grandbaby working the register. Where am I going? I mean, am I going to a place that when I walk into the department store, I automatically get shadowed by an employee? Or am I going into a place where when I walk into the department store, the person says, welcome, come in, let me know if you need anything, I'm over here. Where am I going? Am I going to a place where when I get off, everybody's on the sidewalk rollerblading with AirPods on, Pushing, pushing their kids or their dogs in strollers, wearing, wearing visors, driving around in luxury cars? Or am I going to a place where when I get out, they may or may not have sidewalks. If they do, they might be cracked. And who's riding on it is a bunch of little kids, no shirt, but wearing backpacks. And I got to be careful I don't rustle their feathers because one of them probably got that thing in the backpack. Where am I going? What am I trying to convey? The point is, my waiting involves action. Waiting is not sedentary. Waiting involves action. Say this with me. Say, although... I am Christian, I must know that waiting is not sedentary. Waiting involves action. That is why, loved ones, when we talk about re-engage, I have a very specific mission. That mission is to make sure that your Default, say default. default. Your default mindset is more bent or leaning towards doing something 
instead of nothing. I want you to lean towards being proactive or more towards action and less sitting back and just letting life and things come your way. Let's go a little deeper. Pull up Matthew for me. Going a little deeper here. We're going to talk about Jesus interaction with two women who have illnesses. Here we go. Matthew chapter nine, verse 18 through 25. We're in the voice as he, meaning Jesus, was saying these things, a certain official came before Jesus and knelt in front of him. The official says, my daughter just died. Person number one, female number one. Would you come and lay your hands on her? Then I know she would live again. Jesus got up and he and his disciples went to the man. But as they were heading to the man's house, a woman, person number two, female number two, who had been hemorrhaging and bleeding for 12 years, 12 years, crept up behind Jesus. She evidently believes that if she so, as so much as touches the fringes of his cloak, she will be healed. And so she came up behind him and touched his cloak. Jesus turned around and saw her. Then Jesus said, take heart, daughter. Your faith has healed you. And indeed, from that moment, the woman was healed. Then Jesus went to the official's house. He saw flute players and mourners. Mourner, mourners. Jesus said to the crowd, go away and do not minister and do that you're ministering somewhere else. This girl is not dead. She's merely asleep. The crowd who knew with certainty that the girl was dead laughed at him. But they obeyed him and left the house. And once they were gone, Jesus went to the girl. He took her hand. She opened her eyes and stood up. Family, here are two female characters. One is a daughter of an official. You'll later learn his name is Jairus. He's a synagogue, synagogue leader. The other one is a woman who has been hemorrhaging and bleeding for 12 years, often called the woman with the issue of blood. Now, they put in there, you might be wondering, why hemorrhaging and bleeding? Well, bleeding is one thing. Hemorrhaging is more extreme. And hemorrhaging is an implication there that there's a large volume of blood at times coming from her from within. So from inside out. We're going to focus on the woman with the issue of blood. We will pick back up on the daughter the following session. I want you to look at something. She says she's been bleeding and hemorrhaging for 12 years. I have to believe that after 12 years, this woman has lost hope that she would ever get better. I, I have to believe that. Now, yeah, I could get along with someone Maybe arguing with me that she has hope maybe in year one. Perhaps year two or year three, probably got some hope. But by the time she started getting to year four and five and it hadn't gotten better, by the time seven and eight rolls around and it hadn't gotten better, by the time she's in double digits, mm, I think she's struggling. By the time she is in year 12, 
I have to believe that in her mind, it is tough to even defend herself against the thoughts of hopelessness in her own head. I presume at this moment, she has lost confidence. Now, Luke, before we go there, keep looking right here, because I want to show you something. Luke is going to give us something that supports my presumption that this woman has probably lost all hope. When I look here, though, the way Matthew does it, Matthew basically says, hey, listen, it's this lady. She had an issue of blood. She came up. She touched Jesus and she was better. But Luke is going to give us some more details on her history that's going to help us dig into what her psyche probably was all about. I consider Matthew like there are times when Greta asked me if I went to a meeting or something or somebody told me something and she heard somebody told me something and she say, what'd they tell you? And my response to her is like 10 seconds. And she's like, there had to be more. But I'm giving her just the big blocks and I flushed that other stuff out of my head. I flushed it. She want to know what color they were wearing, what kind of shoes they had. She want to know where they were standing. She want to know all these. I'm like, that's not pertinent to me. Somebody told me to tell you to be here at five o'clock. Why? I, you know, I ain't I don't remember all that. You know, I say, you know, and so I over the years, I've tried to learn to listen with the understanding that I may have to tell my wife and that if I don't have the details as she knows them to be, I'm going to be in trouble. So Matthew is what I call the man's version. The girl was sick. She touched Jesus and she was better. Y'all follow me? This, just the bare bones of what happened. They can't give no details. How did she get here? You know, and none of that. But now, Luke is going to come through with the Greta Smith version. Let's see more. I hope that don't sound sexist. Let's see more of the female version. <laughs> All right. Luke. Just one verse of Luke is almost longer than all of the, what Matthew said. <laughs> Luke chapter 8, verse 43. Now listen to Luke. Luke says, in the crowd was a woman. She had suffered from an incurable menstrual disorder for 12 years and had spent her livelihood on doctors with no effect. It kept her miserable and ritually unclean, unable to participate fully in Jewish life. Loved ones, there are at least six items there. There are more, believe it or not. But there are at least six items there we want to highlight. We want to understand this woman's plight because I have to believe that down deep in her 
even if we want to argue tooth and nail that she had some hope, doggone it, that river of hope had to be a trickle. It had to be really, 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 really dry. That and there. She had an incurable menstrual disorder for 12 years and. That and, that conjunction, junction, that was your function. <laughs> Some phrases and clauses, you know what I mean? You know what I mean? But that, that, that conjunction, junction there has a great function because not only did she have a menstrual disorder, which is something physical, it's getting ready to tell you about her having mental, emotional, other type of issues. It's like someone coming up and telling you, hey, I lost my job or I got fired today. Now, if they stop there, you have a certain level of empathy and you also maybe are ready to jump them right back into hope. It's just one job, brother. My sister, you're going to get another job. You got this job fast, God got another job for you. You ready to jump in. However, with the and, you get a compounding of mess. So if in the same breath they told you, I got fired from my job and my bank, got, my bank account got hacked and my car got repoed and I got to get a root canal and my house burnt down and, you see what I'm saying, and, 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 but at some point in time, you're like, whew, they, they are, they are, they are going through something. It's a compounding of hopelessness. So let's look at her. Yes, yeah, she has an incurable menstrual disorder. Family, but for 12 years going from doctor to doctor with no relief. For 12 years, having spent all of her living or all of her money with no relief. And now you might say, well, listen, if she had to pay the doctors, you don't know if she spent all of her money on doctors the first three years and then didn't have no more doctor visits for the last nine. First of all, you're trying to dissect it too tight. But to that comment, I say this. Maybe she, maybe she did. Maybe she spent all of her money and doctor visits that she could pay for up front. You know, she go in there, first three years, she got money. Oh, go to the front desk, and that would be $100. So she go ahead and give him the money, write the check, swipe a card, whatever she had to do. But then by the time she ran out of money, she go, to the, she go up to the counter and say, ma'am, that'll be $100. She say, well, I ain't got it. Well, baby, you got insurance? What you got? You got Aetna? You got Humana? You got Cigna? You got Blue Cross Blue Shield? What you got? You got something I can take? No, I ain't got nothing. Well, we can't see you. Let's say that was her reality in, in, in year four. Just because she didn't have the money to pay I refuse to believe that she stopped asking. 
So either she spent her money for 12 years on doctors, every time she got more money, she spent it on a doctor, or she ran out of money, but doggone it, she still asked for help. She asked anybody that she could for help. So we're going to assume for 12 years she's going through this. Oh, but wait, that's not it. She was ritually unclean and unable to participate fully in life. A social outcast. She can't just get up and go to the grocery store. You ain't going to just find her and walk through Publix or in Winn-Dixie over there by the, by the wine and cheese. You're not going to find her there. Why? Because she's a social outcast. She doesn't get any invitations to birthday parties. No invitations to dinner. Why? She's a social outcast because of her condition. She don't just up and go to church. The ushers would stop her at the door. Send her away. She can't do that. There is nothing that she is allowed to do. She can't mingle with the common folk because of her issue. She neither has religious nor social permission to engage freely in life. And get this. She is richly unclean, but I have to believe that this woman feels unsanitary. Why? Because the fabrics closest to her skin are always soaked in her own blood. The feel of it, the staining of it on her hands, the smell of it. This woman is emotionally, mentally, and spiritually empty. That's not all, though. Because of her incurable menstrual disorder, the hemorrhaging, and the bleeding, I also have to believe that depending on the amount of blood loss and the duration between hemorrhages, it probably made her weak physically. So not only is she emotionally challenged, mentally challenged, spiritually challenged, she is physically weakened by her condition. Number four, this woman is miserable. She's miserable. She doesn't just have an issue of blood. She has an issue. Period. Say this with me. Say, this woman not only has a physical issue, she's got an issue that covers 
emotional, mental, and spiritual spaces. So she's taxed all the way around. And she's reached a critical point. The point that she's reached, family, is this. She doesn't know how long she's going to have to continue to deal with this. In her mind, it could be forever. At this point, she feels trapped by her situation. She is alive, but realizes she is far from living. In essence, say this with me, her reality, her reality is bleeding the life out of her, life out of both, her. Literally both literally and figuratively. Her reality is bleeding the life out of her. Many people are that way. They have realities that are bleeding the life out of them. Many of you are that way. There is some reality in your life that has either bled the life out of you or is bleeding the life out of you. It can be a relationship. A relationship that's bleeding the life out of you. Leaving you emotionally drained. Leaving you mentally exhausted. Leaving you spiritually worn out. Leaving you physically weary. You can have an issue in your life that's bleeding the life out of you. It could be a job. It can be a business. It can be a career. Bleeding the life out of you leaving you emotionally drained, mentally exhausted, spiritually worn out and physically weary. It can be a physical pursuit. It can be a financial pursuit. It can be a social pursuit. Bleeding you emotionally, mentally, spiritually, and physically. Just drained, just exhausted, just worn out, just weary. Basically, just wearing you down to empty. Like this one. Something in your life that's just bleeding the life out of you. And like this woman, as the years pass, you wonder to yourself, will this thing ever get better? Very similar to this woman, you are dealing with a dwindling hope. Hopelessness is a visitor with, with, with whom both of you are familiar. However, this woman's situation did not end in despair. And neither does yours. It didn't end in despair for her. But yours doesn't have to either. 
This woman heard that Jesus was coming, that he was going to be near. And just knowing that Jesus was going to be near gave a trickle of hope back to her life. Now, we've talked about Matthew. We've talked about Luke, how they told this their story. Look at the tidbit that Mark adds. Mark chapter 5, verses 24 through 28 in the voice. Jesus began traveling with Jairus toward his home. In the crowd pressing around Jesus, there was a woman who had suffered continuous bleeding for 12 years. Bleeding that made her ritually unclean and an outcast according to the purity laws. She had suffered greatly and although she spent all her money on her medical care, she had only gotten worse. Pause right there. In Luke, it said of, to no effect. Here, she got worse. I'm going to tell you, it says she spent all of her money on doctors, doctor after doctor after doctor. But family, you want to talk about some emotional and mental anguish? It's one thing to spend all your money on doctors and get cured. It's one thing to spend all your money on something and see the fruits of what you're spending your money on. It's a whole nother thing that gets you stirred up, doggone it, if you spend all your money on something don't get nothing for it. Oh, just a little side note, don't, this is a serious moment, don't mean to be too humorous, but that's what happened to parents when they send their kids to college. Listen, I'm going to say it because I've been there. We, we, as a parent, there's rarely, unless it's something crazy, if you're a good parent, there's rarely something that you wouldn't do for your child. If they're, they're good kids, they do it. There's, you, you would generally open up the resources to support them. But nothing gets this boy right here stoked up more then when I'm spending college, university type money, I ain't talking about you getting a Chick-fil-A sandwich. I'm talking about when the credit hours got three digits attached to it. Per credit hour, per semester, per quarter. I'm expecting your room to be in the seat. I don't care what they teach you. And so... What, I, what I'm getting at is, if what, you, if, what, if what I'm paying for, I'm seeing the fruits, guess what? I don't, I don't mind stroking the check. I don't mind swiping the card. You need something on the cash app? Boom, we can hit you up. But I can't be hitting the boom on the cash app and you hitting the D's and the F's and the incompletes on this transcript. It says, as far as this woman, she not only spent all her money on medical care, but family, she got worse. Nothing for her money got worse for her money. Verse 27, though, says she heard of this miracle man, Jesus. 
So she snuck up behind him in the crowd and reached out her hand to touch his cloak. The woman said to herself, even if I touch his clothes, I know I will be healed. Now, family, this has been an introduction to what we want to talk about in the upcoming session. And as we conclude this session, understand that what we're getting ready to, to, to say is the closing of this session, but the introduction to the next. Even though this woman has 12 years of evidence, have 12 years of indication that she will not get better. When she heard Jesus was near, she put down hopelessness and picked up the hope that this miracle man could do what no one else in the world could do. Say this with me. This woman, heard Jesus, was near, and took a chance that the miracle man could do what no one else in the world was able to do. Now let's draw you to a close with this. The opportunity, loved ones, for this woman to regain her life is in her vicinity. But to grasp it, she must engage. She cannot just sit back and wait. If she sits back and waits, the opportunity will pass her by. For her, for this scenario here, waiting is not an acceptable option. She cannot wait because, and say this with me, waiting won't stop the bleed. She can wait all she wants. But if she waits, waiting won't stop the bleed. Waiting won't stop her being richly unclean. Waiting won't stop her emotional issues. Waiting won't stop her physical, her mental, her, her spiritual. Waiting won't stop any of those things that she's going through. She cannot afford to wait because if she waits, the opportunity to regain her life will pass her by. She can't afford to wait. She must engage. She must try. She must take action. Last thing I want you to say for today. Here we go. She cannot 
wait for the moment. She must make the moment. Waiting is not an option for her. If she wants the moment to get her life better, she's got to make the moment. If in her mind she thinks that she is going to wait and not engage and not try, she's going to be very disappointed. Because waiting won't stop the bleed. She must engage. We'll pick up next time. Let's pray. God, I thank you for each and every person here. I thank you that although we realize 100% that prayer is a foundational component of who we are as a believer and that we have confidence that you hear us when we pray. We're not disassociating ourselves from waiting when that's what you want us to do. But even in our waiting, the actions that we take that correspond with our waiting are important. And we know it. And we receive it. We do not want to be these people who let opportunities pass us by. Knowing what to do and doing it, two different things. We want to be those people that take action. For this woman, she could think about touching Jesus' clothes all she wants, but thinking about it won't get it done. She can even promise herself that she'll do it, but she better not say she'll do it tomorrow because Jesus is passing by now. Now is the time for us to act on what God tells us to do. We understand there's a place for waiting. But God, I want our default to be one that looks for what you want us to do. Not one of us waiting on you to do. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Well, that's what God had to say to us today. We pray that it blessed you. As always, we pray that the word of God blesses you, not just years from now or months from now or weeks from now, not even days from now, but we pray that you got something out of the message today that would change your life immediately. God bless you and look forward to chatting with you next time.